0: Good evening and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us tonight, you can do that. If you want to turn to Psalm 51, I'm going to get there in just a few minutes, Psalm 51. And uh, this weekend, uh, I want to say thanks for all the guests being here. It's good to have you. And uh, I know nobody came for the Door County getaway. You all came because you love Jesus, right? Yeah, that's a good answer. All right. You get to go to heaven. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but it really is great to have you, and uh, we really welcome you here this, this weekend and hope that you enjoy your time and, um, and, and all of that. This weekend we're talking, we've been on a series on the door, and we're talking about doors. Opening certain doors and closing certain doors in our lives can make a huge difference. And this weekend we're going to talk about the closet door. I know, you're really excited about that, aren't you? Because think about a closet. A closet is where you put most of your junk, right? I mean, there's a few things that you use, but you just stick things, right? Shoes and hats and scarves and mittens and gloves and jackets and things you're going to take back that you're going to return back to the store, you know? And um, I came across an old set of baseball cards in the, in the closet the other day, uh, a uh, set of Don Russ, uh, the full set of 1987s. That's like Mark McGuire, rookie cards. T- your time, you're with me, right? Treasures in, in, the, in, the, in the closet. And, and this time of the year, we're trying to clean and everything and, and, and that kind of a deal. And here's the funny thing to me about the closet. Nobody ever really cleans the closet, right? I mean, think about it. If you have dinner guests over, you have people at your house, you're not going, oh, honey, we've got to clean the closets, we, people are going to look in the closets. We've got to. No, you throw all the junk in the closet. Hurry up. Think about when you have kids. I have two girls, one in elementary and one in middle school. And when you ask them to clean their rooms, what do they do? Exactly what you did as a kid. They try to stick it all in the closet and go, Wow, look how clean. And then you say, Open your closet. And then it all comes out, right? Because the closet is a place that we put things. And sometimes it's useful, but most of the time it's not. And no one ever thinks about it. Well, the closet is a place in life where our stuff is kept. It's the place in our house where stuff is kept. And the Bible says that our heart, our, our, our heart emotionally, spiritually, and physically is like that. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that's kind of our memory verse this weekend, says this, above all else, guard your heart. Above anything else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Above all else, before you guard anything else in your life, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. I think the King James Version puts it like this. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. It's the thing that you don't see. It's a thing that's somewhat concealed. It's a thing that's somewhat back there. But it's a thing that you put stuff, and you keep putting things, and you keep putting things. But you better guard it. You better keep it clean, even though it is unseen to man. Because out of it come the issues of life. It's the wellspring of life. There are 743 different types of references about the heart and what is stored in the heart. Let let me give you, in in the Bible, let me give you a couple of those. These are just a few. I'm not going to read all 743, but, yeah. (laughs) But it says this, prayer, generosity, hate, God's word, fear, love, pride, change, integrity, wisdom, testing, work, destruction, belief, truth, worship, Desire, secrets, purity, loyalty, freedom, life, lust, perversion, plans, treasure, evil, forgiveness, divorce, words, faith, and even salvation. These things are all kept in your heart, the Bible says. And what happens is, is just like your heart, one day you decide, hey, I'm going to go to the closet door and I'm going to do some cleaning and I'm going to open it up. And when you open it up, all of a sudden, all this junk begins to come out. You ever found that? It's kind of like cleaning your kid's room. And all these things began to come out. And all this junk that's been left there. And things that don't belong. And things that are neglected from a long winter. And, and things that just, um, man, that you just didn't, you forgot about. Like those baseball cards that I had. And all of this stuff. And you just start going through and, and looking. And there's just stuff and stuff and more stuff. And you don't know what to do with it. And you, you bag it up and you take it to goodwill. And, and, but but you, you, you began to do the spring cleaning. And all of a sudden, this stuff comes out. And, so, and, and many times people go, well, hey, I get how I do that physically, but how do I clean the closet of my life spiritually? What does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible gives us insight on in how to do that. In the Old Testament, there are stories or accounts, if you would, because they they're true, they're not fictitious, that talk about a man by the name of David. And David's a really unique individual because the Bible says that David is the only person that walked the face of the planet that had a heart after God. The Bible says that David so much had a heart after God that God chose to make him ruler over the nation of Israel, which was his chosen people. And the Bible goes on to record the life of David in 1 and 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, chapter number 11, number 12, it begins to talk about some issues that happened in David's heart. And I'm not going to read the chapter, but I kind of want to summarize the story because I think it's pretty fascinating when we begin to talk about the heart. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse 1, I love how it phrases, it it frames it. It says, in the spring, when the kings went off to war, David stayed at home in Jerusalem. In the springtime, when the kings went off to war, doesn't that sound like Mel Gibson, Braveheart type stuff? David stayed home in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that while he was home, he began to see a woman named Bathsheba who was on a rooftop that was bathing. Now, before you, before you go too far and beat up on Bathsheba, understand this, that they didn't have uh, indoor plumbing like we have. And there were, there, were, there were no hot water just to be able to turn on the spigot. And so the, wa- the baths were typically drawn of a morning. And then they were set up on the rooftop so that the heat of the, sun, of the noonday sun could, could warm up the, the bath. And then they would take baths. So she wasn't in an inappropriate place, but he was. Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. See, it's a first clue of an issue of the heart. Because all of a sudden you find yourself at places and at junctures and at, and at times where you should not be there. At, at a particular time, it would be okay. But, but at this time, the, the, the armies of Israel were on the forefront of the battleground. And, they, and they, they, were, they were warring for the nation of Israel. And David was nowhere to be found. He was back at home. He was at the wrong place. And the Bible says that when David began to see Bathsheba, that he had lust. And his heart, and there was this. And the Bible says one of the the Ten Commandments is "Do not covet." And he began to have this covetousness that came upon him, where he didn't just want a relationship with some woman; he wanted that woman. So he began to inquire of who she was, and he found out by one of his servants that she was the wife of Uriah, who was one of his warriors that was out on the battlefield where he should have been. So David begins to covet this woman and he says, bring her to me. And when he brings her to him, the Bible says very quickly that they committed adultery and they had a sexual relationship that ended up in her having conceived of a child. So David, instead of being a man after God's own heart, he's already broken the law of of, of covetousness. He's already broken the law of adultery. And so he begins to go further and further and further in his deception because there's more and more and more junk in the closet. And if he opens a closet door, then what's going to come out and what's going to happen with his kingdom? What's going to happen with his legacy? What are people going to think? What about the integrity? What about this and what about that? Now let me time out, say something real quick. None of us are perfect, David included. You aren't, I'm not, none of us are. But there comes a point in time where the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities to be able to uh, make things right in private. And if we don't make things right in private, then God begins to draw them out. And private sin begins to become public sin. And public sin, when it's brought to full fruition, the Bible says, becomes death. So David brings Uriah home. He sends word through a servant to to Joab, his commanding officer on the forefront of the battlegrounds, and says, "Why why don't you send Uriah, the Hittite, back home And David begins to converse with him about the war. Really what David wants him to do is go home and have sex with his wife so that the child that she's conceived, they will think it was Uriah's and not David's. So the Bible says that he brings Uriah home. He asks him these questions. And then at the end of the evening, he says, Hey, you know, Uriah, why don't you go home, see your wife, spend the evening at your house, and then go back to the battleground tomorrow. So he sends Uriah on his way. The very next morning, David gets up to get his morning paper and his morning croissant. And all of a sudden, the servant says, hey, Uriah that was here, the warrior, didn't go home last night. Matter of fact, he he slept on the doorstep of the castle. Loyalty, character. So David's thinking, what? My plan is foiled. And what happens when you begin to cover over sin? You go deeper and deeper and deeper because sin will take you further than you ever want to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever want to stay. and It'll make you pay more than you ever intended to pay. So David brings Uriah in and says, Uriah, why did you stay? Why why did you stay there? Chapter 11, verse 11, I love Uriah's response. He says, but king, the armies of Israel and the ark of God, which is where the presence of God was housed in the ark of God. It was a symbol of God's presence. So the presence of God and the armies of God are in the open field fighting battle. Who am I that I would go home and take pleasure in the comforts of my home and of my wife? Oh, no, I would never do that, king. Again, the Holy Spirit gives you opportunities as you go along to kind of make things right. And David kind of goes over this speed bump, and he goes further and further and further into deception. Because, again, the more junk you've got in your closet, the less you want to open it up. And David finally says, well, you know, why don't you stay tonight for dinner? And uh, then go back to the battleground, battlefield tomorrow. And David, the Bible says, had him over for dinner and got him drunk. Trying to get him intoxicated enough that he would go back home to his wife. And then would leave the next day. And again, David's secret would be safe. Because again, this was not in a day of DNA testing, right? Okay. So this isn't CSI stuff. And the Bible says that, again, Uriah slept on the doorstep of the castle. So David handwrites a letter to Joab, the commanding officer. Gives it to Uriah and says, and sealed it with the seal of the king, which meant it could not be broken. If it was broken, it would have been Uriah's life. And gives it to Uriah and says, I want you to take this to Joab, the commanding officer on the forefront of of, of the battlegrounds for me. Thank you for coming home and giving me a report. And Uriah hand delivers his own death sentence to Joab. Because what it says is, Joab, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines. And at the fiercest point of the battle, I want you to pull the troops back and leave him out there so he will die. And he kills him. So now, he's committed, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. Three of the Ten Commandments. He's not doing real well right now. Because again, it's just more and more and more junk and it's just coming out of his heart. Because it all begins in the heart. Because that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that that's exactly what happens. A word comes back and Uriah is found to be dead. And David takes Bathsheba as his wife. And he thinks, I'm safe. According to the law, I've done the right thing. She's free to be my wife. Nobody will ever know. This will all be. But understand, there's a thing called the Spirit of God. And the Bible says in chapter 12 that Nathan, a prophet of God, a man of God, comes to David. He was an advisor to the king, and he comes to David, and the Bible says that he opens it up. He says, David, I've got a question for you, but let, let, me, let me lay it out here in this type of deal. Let me tell you a story, and he tells him the story, and he says there, 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 were, two, there were two men in, in, a, in a town, and one was very rich, and one was very poor, and one had many, many, many sheep and had more sheep than he would do with, more than he could count, more than he could number, and the other one just had one, and this one little lamb, he, he fed it. And he played with it, and he named it, and his children played with it, and it was, it was like a family pet, if you would. And a traveler came along, and he wanted to buy a sheep, and the, the rich man said, No, I won't sell you any of my sheep, although they number so great, I don't know the number of them. And, and, and the traveler goes to the man that. Um, that has but the one but the one lamb and asks for it and he says, Oh no, I can't give this. This is too much of a prized possession. This is like a, a member of the family. And the rich man demands that he does that and somehow takes the one sheep from the man that doesn't have. And David's, and he asked Nathan asked David, said, What would you do to that man that would take the one and only sheep that this that this poor man has? And takes, it to, and takes it from a man, takes it and uh, a man who has so many sheep, and he takes it from him. What would you do? And the Bible says there was like a righteous indignation, and David got upset, and he said, He must die. Bring him to me. And then Nathan said, You're him. And in that moment, the Bible begins to record how Nathan, this man of God, begins to read David's mail, because what's in the closet is not always left in the closet, it comes to light at some point in time. And the Bible records in Psalm 51 the prayer that David prayed that helped him clean his heart, clean his closet. I want to read it for you today. And if you have it in your, in your Bible, you can read along. And if you don't have it, it will be on the screen. David began to drop to his knees and he prayed this prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great com- compassion, blot out my transgressions. Notice they're plural because he had broken so many laws and commands. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. But against you and you only have I sinned and have done what's evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Nobody's perfect, not even David. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, in the heart. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Verse 7, so cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be made clean. And wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. And let me hear your joy and gladness. And let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. And hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. Verse 10, I love this verse. Create in me a pure heart or a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. David begins to pray this prayer. And when he prays this prayer, it gives us insight and how we get to clean our own closet, how we can clean our own heart, what we do. The Bible says in verses one and two, he recognized, there was recognition, I can't clean the closet myself. And I'm telling you, if David, a man after God's own heart, can't clean his own closet, can't clean his own heart, neither can I, neither can you. And he cries out to God and he says, have mercy upon me. And forget my sin and cleanse me. You know, we all, the Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And none of us are righteous, no, not one. And if I can be real transparent with you, a message like this is not exactly the message that I like to preach. Because it's pretty heavy. And somewhat it can almost come across pretty condescending and a little bit like uppity from me saying to you and talking about what's in your junk and in your own closet. And again, there's no gross sin or immorality in my life, but, but, but I'm just like you. And there are many times where the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of my heart. And at first, I don't have time to clean the closet. And, and, and nobody's really going to see the closet. And, and, and who really knows about the closet? But I know it's growing. <laughs> I know that it's bigger, and I know that it's in there, and I know I need to handle it. And those moments where the Holy Spirit begins to get, get a hold of my heart, that I've got to open the door, and I've got to begin to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for this pride. Forgive me for this hatred. Forgive me for this lust. Forgive me for this sin. Forgive me for whatever. And I'm simply saying with all the humility in the world tonight that I can muster, I am truly just telling one beggar, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. David says, man, I'm unclean and I can't do this on my own. The Bible says goes on to say that the next thing that he does is he repents. He takes responsibility. Verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. He takes responsibility and ultimately says, you know what? God's the cleaner. God, you're the only one that can do this. I, I, I can't do this in and of myself. Just listen to these words. I can't do this for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Have you ever felt like that? You can't get away from it. And against you have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. And so you're proved right when you speak and justify and when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely the desire, you desire truth in the inner parts and you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that a broken and a contrite spirit God will never turn away from. Do you know what saved David. Do you know what saved his kingdom? Do you know what kept him? Was the fact that he was willing to crucify his flesh, to drop his pride, to open up the door, and when confronted, to let it out, and not hide or conceal, but to be truthful and to be honest and to say, I have sinned. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance says to confess your sins and to turn away from. To confess your sins and to turn away from. To do a 180 from the lifestyle that you're living. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're going, whoa, dude, it's pretty heavy. I mean, I thought the rock and roll music at the beginning was pretty cool and chill. A little Dave Matthews flavor, but this is a little heavy. It's just the word. The reality is, is that the closet's not clean. And it's just growing. And what I'm trying to tell you is you don't have to live life that way. And you can't do it on your own. But God will do it if you will but ask him and confess to him. Not to me, not to a pastor, not to a priest, not to a person, but to him. David's praying to God. David's not praying to Nathan. David's not praying to the council of of the elders of Jerusalem. David's not praying to, 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 to to the elder of each one of the 12 tribes of Jerusalem. He's praying to God, and he's pouring this out to God. And listen to what he says the last thing. Is that after he recognizes and after he takes responsibility and understands that God's the only one that can do it, he asks God for restoration, and God begins to give it. He says, God, I need you to clean my closet. In verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, all the way through verse 13. And he begins to ask God. Just listen to what he asked him. I want to walk this out just for a second. Clean me with hyssop that I'll be clean. And wash me that I'll be whiter than snow. Only God can do that. And let me hear the gladness and the joy. And let the bones that you've crushed rejoice once again. And hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Only God can do that. Man can't do that. Church can't do that. Religion can't do that. Oh, God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He begins to ask God, give me a pure heart. Do you remember? Maybe you've never come to faith in Christ before. But for those of you in this room that have, do you remember that time where you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember how free you felt? There's an old, old hymn of the church that says, When when the burdens of my soul were rolled away, it was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. There's a joy and there's a freedom that only comes from cleaning the closet and getting it out before God, not before a man, but before God and just laying it out and allowing God to come in and to do that in your life. He, 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 he asked God to renew his spirit because only God can do that. Only God can take someone whose trajectory of their life is going this way and make a do a 180. Only God can come in and correct the path of someone whose heart's been far away from him. Only God can soften a heart that's made of stone back to a heart made of flesh. Only God can do that. And whatever you're facing today, please listen to just what I'm saying. The only person that can fix the problems in your world is Jesus. I don't mean to be narrow-minded. I don't mean to be whatever. But I'm telling you, there's no answer in that bottle. There's no answer in that prescription. There's no answer in that doctor. There's no answer anywhere else. The Bible says it's only by the name of Jesus that mankind can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from us. Saved from the sin. Saved from the junk that's in the closet. David prays and he says, Oh God, keep your presence with me. Because when God begins to renew you, he gives you that pure heart. He renews your spirit. Your strength begins to come back. And the presence of God fills your heart. I'm just telling you, uh, and and there's been times this week, there's just been a lot going on in my world this week. And, And there was one point that I've just, just was just, I was actually. Nobody would understand it. I just was, I was, at, I was at the gym, and, and I was on the treadmill, and I'm doing my two miles. And as I'm doing that, I know I, I eat a lot, but just work with me. And I told Tammy, I said, I about lost it. I'm listening to a song on my iPod, and, um, and I'm just listening to it over and over and over. And I'm just running, and I've just got a lot going through my mind, a lot going through my heart. And I just honestly just wanted to stop and just drop. Because it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're at church, whether you're at the gym, whether you're driving the kids to soccer practice, whether you're coming home from work, whether you're on your way to a meeting, the presence of God can be there. That's what you sense in this room today. That's what's different. It's not that the temperature's different or it's video, and that's kind of like the stained glass of the 21st century. It's the fact that Jesus Christ is in this room. And the Bible says where two of more are gathered together, there he is in the midst. There, there he is. And David says, Oh God, whatever you do, don't take your presence from me. Because we as the creation, he's the creator. And he says, God, begin to fill me with your spirit and bring back the joy. When was the last time you laughed? When was the last time you just, I mean, you belly laughed till you cried? That's the that David gives us this picture of what God's, what a relationship with God's all about. And then David says, then after I'm clean and I'm sure that I'm ready to serve you. So today, today we're talking about the closet. We're talking about our heart. And 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 as you open the door of the closet, I just want to ask you to ask a question. Man, what's in the closet? What what's in your heart today?
1: thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I lose my way, and in my heart I'm so afraid, but I realize I must walk by faith and not by sight still. A Sometimes I lose my way. And then my heart gets so. Oh